Welcome to the August 4th, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll discuss the factors influencing the development of immune thrombocytopenia after administration of the CHAD-OX1 and COVID-19 vaccine. Learn about the genomic features underlying anti-CD19 CAR T-cell treatment failure in lymphoma and introduce a new predictive model for risk assessment before CAR T-cell therapy for large B-cell lymphoma. Our first blood article is entitled Thrombocytopenia and Splenic Platelet-Directed Immune Responses After Intravenous CHAD-OX1 and COVID-19 Administration by Leo Nikolai from the University Hospital of Munich in Munich, Germany, and colleagues. Soon after the wide global distribution of adenovirus vector-based SARS-CoV-2 vaccines, the adverse effect of vaccine-induced immune thrombotic thrombocytopenia, or VIT, was reported. Both adenovirus-based vaccines, CHAD-OX1 and COVID-19, manufactured by AstraZeneca, and AD26-CoV-2-S, manufactured by Johnson & Johnson, have since been associated with this rare side effect, which is characterized by low platelet counts and a prothrombotic state. VIT is similar to heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, or HIT, type 2, and requires a positive platelet factor 4 antibody assay for diagnosis. However, Unlike HIT type 2, the epitope of VIT platelet factor 4 antibodies differs from that of the HIT antibodies. It targets the PF4 heparin binding site and does not require heparin for immune complex formation and FC gamma receptor-dependent platelet activation. VIT affects between 1 in 100,000 and 1 in 1 million recipients of adenovirus-based vaccines and takes anywhere between 4 and 30 days to develop from the date of vaccination. A small fraction of individuals vaccinated with the CHAD-OX1 and COVID-19 vaccine will develop thrombocytopenia without thrombosis. The process that triggers the formation of autoantibodies in VIT remains unknown, which is why preventative measures have not been established to date. One hypothesis suggests that direct platelet-adenoviral vector interactions cause the formation of antibodies, while another suggests that charge-dependent PF4 adenoviral vector binding leads to the formation of an immunogenic complex. In the current article, the authors studied the sera of patients with confirmed thrombocytopenia and suspicion for VIT after vaccination with CHAD-OX1 and COVID-19 to provide a more thorough understanding of platelet-associated complications after vaccination. A better understanding of the mechanisms at play may have important implications for future vaccine development, as well as for the understanding of other autoimmune disorders and gene therapy. The authors first screened the sera of a cohort of 27 patients with VIT for antiplatelet autoantibodies. All patients were positive for anti-PF4 antibodies and met the diagnostic criteria for VIT. They then employed several in vitro and in vivo models to identify the potential mechanisms underlying the development of immune thrombocytopenia. Antiplatelet antibodies were discovered in 8 of 27, or 30% of screened patients. Of these 8, 2 were positive for either the anti-GP1A-2A or anti-GP1B9 antibody. One patient was positive for both anti-GP1A-2A 
and anti-GP1B9 antibodies, and another five patients were panreactive for all three antiplatelet antibodies. The investigators screened an additional 26 anti-PF4 IgG seronegative patients that developed thrombocytopenia after chad ox one and COVID-19 vaccination. 11 of these 26 patients, or 42%, had antiplatelet antibodies. Here, two patients were positive for one antibody, either anti-GP1A2B or anti-GP1B9. Two patients had both anti-GP1A2A and anti-GP2B3A antibodies, and seven patients were panreactive for all three antiplatelet antibodies. No antiplatelet antibodies were found in a control group of 52 healthcare workers vaccinated with CHAD-OX1 and COVID-19 who experienced no clinical symptoms of thrombosis or thrombocytopenia. Altogether, a total of 36% of patients with thrombocytopenia tested positive for antiplatelet antibodies. This points towards a broad antiplatelet autoimmunity beyond anti-PF4 antibodies in a considerable subset of patients with CHAD-OX1 and COVID-19-induced thrombocytopenia. Interestingly, in vitro and in vivo experiments revealed that intravenous but not intramuscular injection of the CHAD-OX1 and COVID-19 vaccine triggers the formation of platelet adenovirus complexes and platelet activation. After intravenous injection, these complexes were phagocytosed by macrophages in the spleen, and platelet remnants were found in the marginal zones and follicles. This led to a pronounced B-cell response with the emergence of circulating antibodies bound to platelets. Based on their experimental evidence, the authors propose a series of events leading to thrombocytopenia after CHAD-OX1 and COVID-19 vaccination including accidental intravenous deltoid vaccine injection that leads to platelet adenovirus aggregation, which in turn triggers platelet activation and subsequent splenic clearance. This process is antibody-independent and most likely clinically inapparent. Phagocytosis and processing of platelet adenovirus aggregates by phagocytes then creates a cross-reactive immune response, which could culminate in the delayed emergence of a spectrum of antibodies binding to platelets. Depending on epitope and antibody titer, this could lead to platelet clearance and ensuing thrombocytopenia. Moreover, if the host immune system targets PF4, strongly activating antibodies could lead to fulminant platelet activation in vivo and thrombogenicity. Potentially, this could explain the variable clinical presentation. If this immune response leads to the formation of platelet-activating PF4 antibodies, thrombocytopenia is accompanied by thrombosis. Together, these findings contribute to the understanding of immune thrombocytopenia after vaccination with CHAD-OX1 and COVID-19 and identify accidental intravenous administration as a potential mechanism of platelet-targeted autoimmunity. In an accompanying commentary, Lubica Rayova from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and Douglas Seens from the University of Pennsylvania Perelman School of Medicine Note that the findings by Nikolai and collaborators raise the important question of how adenoviral platelet complexes might lead to the production of both anti-PF4 and diverse platelet anti-glycoprotein antibodies. They hypothesize that antibodies that cause VIT may be induced by PF4 bound to anionic adenoviral hexons, but the lack of obvious structural similarities between PF4 and the various platelet glycoprotein targets 
reduces the likelihood that molecular mimicry and epitope spread of anti-PF4 antibodies can explain the range of antibodies detected in this study. The clinical implications of these findings are, first, that inadvertent intravenous injection of adenovirus-based vaccines should be avoided whenever possible. Second, it should be noted that the investigators did not detect thrombocytopenia after intravenous application of ADV004, another adenovirus strain. Adenovirus subtype might determine platelet clearance and ensuing complications. Therefore, optimization of adenoviral vector design with negligible effects on platelets could increase safety. Next up, we'll discuss an article in Blood entitled Whole Genome Sequencing Reveals Complex Genomic Features Underlying Anti-CD19 CAR T-Cell Treatment Failures in Lymphoma by Michael Jane from the Moffitt Cancer Center in Florida and colleagues. Chimeric antigen receptor-modified T-cells targeting CD19 have significantly improved the outcomes of patients with relapsed refractory diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. The approval of three CAR T-cell products, axicaptogene silalusol, or axicel, tisagen leclusol, or tisacel, and lysocaptogene maralusol, or lysocel, has significantly changed the outlook of these patients. Research to date has shown that approximately 52% to 82% of treated patients respond immediately after the CAR T-cell infusion, but only 40% achieve complete eradication of the tumor and prolonged remission. The mechanisms responsible for treatment failure remain largely unknown, and the established prognostic factors for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma have been shown to be of limited value. Several studies have shown that serum inflammatory markers and T-cell exhaustion in the tumor microenvironment of the CAR-19 product are associated with poor responses to CAR T-cell therapy. The role of lymphoma-associated genes has been minimally explored to date, even though a couple of reports have suggested a potential role of the TP53 mutation and other established lymphoma drivers. Point mutations in CD19 that prevent CAR binding have been implicated in several individual cases, but the loss of the CD19 CAR target accounts for only 5% to 30% of relapsed cases. Therefore, in the current study, the authors aim to identify the genomic drivers associated with poor responses to anti-CD19 CAR T-cell therapy for large B-cell lymphoma using whole genome sequencing analysis. The investigators performed whole genome sequencing of 51 tumors from 49 patients with relapsed refractory large B-cell lymphoma treated with CAR T-cell products, of which 45 were treated with axicel, and two each were treated with tisacel and lysacel. Durable responders were identified as patients who maintained remission after a minimum six-month follow-up after CAR T-cell infusion. Whole genome sequencing was performed using the Illumina NextSeq 500 platform. In line with previous studies, CD19 monoallelic loss and or low expression by flow cytometry was not associated with resistance to CAR T-cell therapy, and was mostly observed in patients with complete responses and excellent outcomes. In addition, their analysis did not reveal TP53 loss as a single-gene driver of CAR-19 outcome. However, the study revealed that specific genomic findings are significantly associated with CAR-19 treatment failure. These included pretreatment presence of complex structural variants, apolipoprotein B mRNA-editing enzyme-catalytic polypeptide, 
or APOBAC, mutational activity, and genomic damage due to reactive oxygen species. In addition, there was a strong enrichment of the recurrent 3P2-1.31 chromosomal deletion, containing the Rho A tumor suppressor in those patients who failed CAR T-cell therapy. Taken together, this study demonstrates that tumor-intrinsic genomic alterations significantly impact the efficacy and resistance to anti-CD19 CAR T-cell therapy in patients with large B-cell lymphoma. Overall, the combination of different genomic features and drivers was a much stronger predictor of progression after CAR-T than previously reported clinical features such as metabolic tumor volume. Most of these genomic features do not appear to directly cause a dysregulation of a distinct pathway or gene function, but rather reflect the complexity and ongoing instability of these lymphoma genomes. These genomic features, in particular APOBAC, have been linked to distinct microenvironmental exhaustion, genomic instability, immune escape, and inflammatory profiles. The authors cite that these genomic features are not in opposition to the immune microenvironment, but rather, the data suggests that large B-cell lymphoma CAR-T resistance is driven by a complex interplay between the immune microenvironment and cancer cells. In an accompanying commentary, Helen Heslop from the Baylor College of Medicine notes that the genome-wide mutational signatures identified by Jane and collaborators could be utilized to identify those patients who may be at high risk of relapse following CAR T-cell treatment. Heslop notes that one limitation of the whole genome sequencing strategy employed by the authors is that it requires viable lymphoma tumor tissue and matched germline DNA. Furthermore, the retrospective study design and focus on patients predominantly treated with AxiCell calls for validation of the findings in additional patient cohorts. In the final segment of today's podcast, which also addresses outcomes of CAR T-cell therapy of refractory relapsed large B-cell lymphoma, we will review a report published in Blood entitled Risk Assessment with Low-Pass Whole Genome Sequencing of Cell-Free DNA Before CD19 CAR T-Cells for Large B-Cell Lymphoma by Hua J. Chang from the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center and colleagues. Despite the previously mentioned dramatic improvement in the outcomes of patients with large B-cell lymphoma treated with CAR T-cell therapies, the identification of specific prognostic markers of response remains an unmet need. Increased tumor burden, including elevated LDH, multiple extranodal sites of disease, and high metabolic tumor volume on functional imaging have been associated with inferior outcomes following treatment with CAR T-cells. However, these are nonspecific markers that are not indicative of underlying tumor biology. A recent study found that the genomic analysis of cell-free DNA isolated from plasma has prognostic value in diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Somatic copy number alterations, or CNAs, are found in many different types of human cancers, and complex patterns of CNAs are associated with outcomes in diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Low-pass whole genome sequencing of cell-free DNA can be used to effectively profile CNAs and requires simple library preparation and sequencing to a depth of 0.1 to 1x genome coverage. Cell-free DNA isolated from the plasma of peripheral blood is an accessible source for evaluating tumor genetic alterations. 
In the current study, the authors hypothesized that low-pass whole genome sequencing analysis of cell-free DNA in patients with large B-cell lymphoma prior to CAR T-cell therapy may represent an effective method for profiling genomic variations and predicting treatment outcomes. To test their hypothesis, investigators performed low-pass whole genome sequencing on pretreatment plasma samples from 122 patients at time of leukophoresis who received standard-of-care CAR T19 for refractory-relapsed large B-cell lymphoma to define DNA-CNAs. 92% of patients received Axicel and 8% received Ticicel. Patients had one of three types of lymphoma, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, primary mediastinal B-cell lymphoma, or transformed indolent lymphoma, and received at least two prior systemic treatments with the standard-of-care CAR T-cells at MD Anderson Cancer Center. The study evaluated DNA-CNA scores and the primary endpoints of progression-free survival and overall survival and the co-primary endpoints of progression-free survival and complete response at three months post-CAR T-cell infusion. Multivariable analysis revealed that a high focal CNA score reflecting genomic instability was the most statistically significant variable associated with inferior three-month complete response rates. Namely, the three-month complete response rate was 28% for patients with a high focal CNA score versus 56% for patients with a low focal CNA score. The three-month overall response rate was also higher in patients with a low focal CNA score than for patients with a high CNA score, 59% versus 33%, as were progression-free survival and overall survival, with hazard ratios of 2.11 and 2.10, respectively. 34 unique focal CNAs were identified in 89% of the patients. Of these, deletion 10Q2 3.3, leading to loss of the FAST death receptor, was the most highly associated with poor outcomes. It led to inferior progression-free survival, with a hazard ratio of 3.49, and overall survival, with a hazard ratio of 2.68. A high focal CNA score was associated with involvement of more than one extranodal sites of disease, but not with other surrogates of disease burden, such as elevated LDH, and advanced disease stage, or lymphadenopathy greater than 5 centimeters. The authors then combined the focal CNA score with traditional markers of increased tumor burden, including elevated LDH and involvement of more than one extranodal site, to build a simple risk model capable of reliably risk stratifying the patients into low, intermediate, and high-risk groups. The three-month complete response rate was 64%, 49%, and 20%, for these three groups respectively, with significantly different progression-free survival and overall survival. 29% of the patients were classified as being very high risk and had extremely poor outcomes, with one-year progression-free survival and overall survival rates of 4% and 16% respectively. While these findings require validation in an independent series, the authors concluded that focal CNA score measured by low-pass whole genome sequencing of cell-free DNA can be combined with clinical characteristics to identify patients at high risk of having poor outcomes after CAR T-cell therapy. In her accompanying commentary, Heslop cautions that, as in the case with the prior study by Jane and collaborators, the study had limitations, including its retrospective design and inclusion of patients who were predominantly treated with Axicel at a single institution. 
However, the prognostic risk model that the authors built by combining the focal CNA score with standard markers of elevated LDH and more than one extranodal site of disease proved effective at reliably stratifying patients. Heslop emphasizes that integrating these newly discovered tumor-specific risk factors with other host and product factors may in the future produce even stronger predictive algorithms than the one presented in the current study. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.